right. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. And there's a study guide that's uh, spread out across the room. If you don't have one, if you can throw a hand up and any of that has extras around you, you can, uh, you guys might take them back. Anybody not have one, you can throw a hand up. It's like we're pretty well covered there. Right. So we've been coming through the book of Acts together. Today we land at Acts chapter 5, verse 17, through the end of the chapter, verse 42. Let's pray, and then we're going to dig into this together, okay? Please pray with me. Father, you told us to be still and know that you are God, and we want to do that now. Lord, we love your word. We submit to it, God. God, we come to your word wanting to obey. We want to obey you, Lord. We want to walk with you. And so, God, we say, whatever you command us, we'll do. And wherever you send us, we'll go. And God, I pray that you would expose the areas in our heart, God, that are not in that place, Lord. Give us hearts. Give us hearts, God, that, that truly speak what's in your word. Wherever you send us, we'll go. Whatever you command us, we'll do. God, we want to come to your word like that. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us now. Holy Spirit, speak to us. God, unless you move, unless you open our eyes and give us light, we can't understand the truths here. So please, God, help us to see. And even when we understand it, God, in our minds, yet to see the glory of it, God, we miss it. We tend to be blinded to it. So, God, open our eyes that we might see the beauty, the glory, the wondrous things that are found in your law. Holy Spirit, please help us to see. And I pray, God, that you would move us as a church. And as every individual here, God, that you would move us to action for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, as we get ready to, to dig into this passage of Scripture, I want to talk to you about the unstoppable word. The unstoppable word. I believe that a theme and a main point of this passage that we're in in Acts 5 is the unstoppable word of God. And let me define what I mean by the unstoppable word. So by word, I mean the word of the gospel. I mean, uh, as it'll say in our passage, go and, and speak to the people all the words of this life. I mean the word of the gospel, the word of God, the soul-saving word of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm talking about. It's like King Jesus is reigning on his throne and he's advancing his kingdom into every nation tribe and tongue and he's doing it through this weapon which is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God so I want to talk to you about the unstoppable word now why do I say so I'm telling you what I mean by the word the word of the gospel but what I mean by unstoppable what do I mean what do I mean by that unstoppable to do what so 
the, the word of God in this world, in this earth, is actually accomplishing something. You know that, right? That the word of the gospel is actually, is actually accomplishing something. The way it says it in the scripture is every nation, tribe, and tongue, there will be a remnant of people that bow down to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and they'll be saved for all of eternity. Every people group on the planet, there will be a remnant of people that worship Jesus as their Savior and as their Lord. And the word of the Lord is going to accomplish this. In other words, not only are we told to make disciples of all the nations, but we're promised that with or without us, it will be fulfilled. And this is what I mean by the unstoppable word of the Lord. Now, I believe... It's a theme in our passage. But before we go there, I want you to see that this is a theme of the entire Bible. In fact, it's a theme of all of history. So from Genesis, creation, the very beginning, all the way to Revelation, a glimpse into the end, that this is a theme of the Word of God, the unstoppable Word of the Lord. So how do I explain this to you? Let's start in the Old Testament. How do I, how do I quickly explain to you from the Old Testament that this is a theme, the unstoppable Word of the Lord? Why don't you think about Genesis chapter 1. So you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and what does it say? It says, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. In other words, fill the earth with my image. Fill the earth with my glory. And this is before sin enters the world. And God knows that sin will enter into the world. He's not ignorant of that. And yet we get a glimpse of the heart of God from Genesis chapter 1. That the whole earth might be filled with the glory of His name. That's at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. And it's unstoppable. It will happen. Because in that same book, the first book, Genesis, we begin to get promises after sin enters the world. That there's coming one that's going to be a savior. He's going to be a Messiah. Christ Jesus the Lord. And here's one of the promises we get about that savior. In Genesis chapter 12. It was first given to Abraham. It says Abraham. In your seed. All nations will be blessed. In other words there's going to be people. From all nations. That are blessed through your seed Abraham. Do you understand what that means? A quick study of. All nations throughout the Bible will get this idea that, that, that many people say, they, they call it the people groups, the, all people groups of this earth. If you look at um, the Joshua Project, you can go look at that online, the Joshua Project. I encourage you to do that. It estimates that there's about 16,000 people groups, people groups on planet earth. And out of those 16,000 give or take some people groups that are on the planet, meaning this, these are people groups where the gospel uh, can, can only transfer to the next people group and there's boundaries in the way. That's a, a people group, the boundaries in which the gospel can move unhindered. There's 16 or so thousand of those in the earth and 7,000, about 7,000 of them are unreached. Do you understand that there's people... On the planet, people groups on the planet that they, they, they are born into the world, they live and they die, and they never hear of the message of Jesus Christ that can save their soul from hell. So, 16,000 people groups on the planet, 7,000 or so of them are unreached. So, think about that for just a minute. 7,000 or so of them are unreached. And we get this word in Genesis chapter 12 that there's coming a Messiah that's going to bless every single one of them. 
That there's going to be a people saved. And this is the promise that runs through the book of Genesis. Genesis 12 is promised to Abraham. It's promised to Isaac a little bit later. It's promised to Jacob a little bit later. All in the book of Genesis. That in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This nation of Israel. Listen to me. It's never just been about one nation. You know that. When we get to the New Testament and the gospel begins to go out, the message to all nations, that wasn't plan B. It's always been in the heart of God that through this one nation, he's going to bring about the Messiah who's going to bless all nations. It's always been that way. It's always been in the heart of God that he would fill up this earth with his glory. It's going to happen. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this nation of people, Israel. And they've got like a, a, a divinely inspired hymn book that we call the book of Psalms. We have the Psalms, right? And you think about this people... With this promise that there's coming a Messiah that's going to bless all nations. And think about their glorified divine hymn book. And what does it say in those Psalms? It says things like Psalm 46.10. I will be exalted among the nations. He says I will be. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. He will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 67 says let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let all the peoples praise Him. Yes, all the peoples praise Him. In Psalm 22, the, the, the psalm that speaks about the Christ who will be crucified. In Psalm 22, it starts off, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that same song, it speaks about Jesus being worshipped in all the world, in every people group, among all the nations. In other words, it will happen. It's the unstoppable word of the gospel. It will happen every People group, all 16,000 people groups on the planet, there will be a remnant from every single one of them. It's unstoppable. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. And you got the, it, it ends in Malachi, the last prophet, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. And it says, from the rising of the sun, even to the setting. In other words, from one side of the earth to the other side of the earth, my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In every, in every place, incense shall be offered to my name. My name shall be exalted among the nations. And that's your Old Testament. It's a theme throughout the Old Testament. You get into the New Testament. And you've got the Gospels and, and the story of Jesus Christ. And we got Jesus as a young baby, as a, as a little baby in this world. And in Luke chapter 2, there was a man named Simeon. And Simeon understood what this Messiah was supposed to be. He didn't mess it up like so many did of that day. But he understood what the Old Testament taught. That this one that was born as Messiah. Simeon said, my eyes have seen the light that will be a light to all nations. So even at Jesus' birth, even as a baby, even as a little boy, that he would be the one that would bless all nations. And then Jesus himself said things like this. Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. It's the unstoppable word. It's going to all people groups. It's going to all nations. Do you believe that? And therefore, a little bit later in Matthew, in those Gospels, Jesus says, in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 20, it says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. In Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached in my name in all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. 
All nations, all nations. It's a theme through the book of Acts. Think about this. The unstoppable word of the Lord. So Jesus dies for sinners, rises from the dead, ascends on high. And before he does that, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Acts 1 verse 8. He says, when, my, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's an all nation Savior and all people group salvation. And you keep going through the book of Acts and Acts chapter 2, you got 3,000 souls being saved. Acts chapter 4, you got 2,000 more souls being saved. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Nothing can stop this. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. It's unstoppable. Acts chapter 12. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts chapter 13 verse 49. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. Acts chapter 19 verse 20. So the word of the Lord Continue to increase and prevail mightily. The unstoppable word of God. A theme all the way through the scriptures. And how does the book of Acts end? It ends with Paul dwelling, arrested in a sense in his own rented house. And he's proclaiming the things of Jesus. And the last, two, the last words are, and he's doing it unhindered. Without hindrance. In other words, the world's trying to hinder it. Satan's trying to hinder it. But nothing can hinder the gospel from moving forward. It's the unstoppable word of God. We get into Revelation. And the theme of Revelation is this glimpse into heaven where who is giving praise to Jesus? Revelation 5, 9 says, People from every nation, tribe, and tongue singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive glory and power and honor and praise. Do you see this as a theme that from the very beginning, God's going to fill the earth with his glory to the very end. That this is an unstoppable mission of the word of the gospel. It's the unstoppable word. And so we get to our passage in Acts 5 with that theme in mind. In Acts chapter 5 verse 17 through 42, this is the theme. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. And you really... You really could take that focus, and what we're about to read, you could take that focus, and you, you could really narrow it even more than that. You can narrow it even more than just the unstoppable word, but, but it's this. Persecution cannot stop the unstoppable word. Persecution, listen to me, persecution, this is a the theme of our passage today. Persecution cannot halt the unstoppable word. Now, Persecution is just one of Satan's many schemes to try to halt the word of God, to try to stop the advancement of the gospel. Persecution is just one of his many schemes. And as we read through the book of Acts, we see many schemes of Satan to try to stop the advancing of the word of the gospel. So we know from God's word that Satan is blinding the eyes and blinding the minds, blinding the hearts of unbelievers. So how will the word of God move forward when Satan's blinding their eyes? And we see in Acts chapter 2 that they are cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit. Their eyes are open to receive the things spoken in the gospel. So we see God doing a work. It's unstoppable. It doesn't matter if Satan tries to blind the eyes. 
In Acts chapter 4, we get our first taste of, of persecution where the apostles that are preaching are actually arrested. So we got this attack from Satan from outside the church to try to stop it. But what do they do? They meet back up after they're arrested with the other brothers and sisters in Christ. And they begin to pray. God, they're threatening. They're threatening us. But God, give us boldness to keep preaching your word. And God fills them with the Holy Spirit. And they keep proclaiming it with boldness. Nothing can stop it. In Acts chapter 5, we see Satan trying to, trying to uh, thwart this plan from within. It says with Ananias and Sapphira that Satan put it in the heart of Ananias to sin, to walk in his hypocrisy. And yet God deals with that. And what does it say in the next section, in Acts 5 verse 14? More than ever believers are being added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. You understand that? That it's unstoppable. Nothing can hinder the word of the Lord. And so we get to our passage of scripture and that's exactly what we see. Persecution cannot hinder. Persecution cannot hinder, cannot halt, cannot stop the word of the Lord. So we're about to read. Beginning in verse 17. And just before I do that, I want you to understand why I say that a theme running through what we're about to read is persecution cannot halt the word of the Lord. Just think about it with me. Just give, let me give you a quick summary as we're getting ready to read. Think about this. The word of God's moving forward. Acts 5, 14. More than ever, believers are being added to the Lord, right? And in the midst of that, what happens? Persecution. You're going to see. We're about to read it. They're going to arrest the apostles. Persecution to halt it. But what's God going to do? God gets them out of prison. They stand back in the temple. Keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. So what do they do next? They bring them back into trial. Before, before all the, uh, the highest leaders of Israel. They bring them in for interrogation. It's persecution again in our passage of scripture today. And what are they going to say to them? You fill Jerusalem with your teaching. And they're going to keep preaching the word. Peter's going to say we ought to obey God when he tells us to preach the word rather than man when they tell us not to preach the word. It's the unstoppable word of God. You see this thing. Then the persecution, we're going to read it, that it's going to increase. They're going to become enraged with these apostles. And they're going to want to murder these apostles. And yet, listen to how it's going to end. The last verse in verse 42 is going to end like this. Daily in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease. Preaching Jesus as the Christ. The last verse of our section today. They did not cease preaching Jesus as the Christ. We're talking about persecution on these people throughout this section of scripture. But it's unstoppable. They keep heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way through. So let's read that first section. Verse 17 through 26. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked 
and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, I want you to think about this amazing scene. The gospel of Jesus is moving forward in Jerusalem. The high priest and the leaders here. I mean, this is the, this, this is the Supreme Court of, of Israel. This is the highest court in the land. This is the most powerful men in Israel. And they arrest the apostles who are preaching this gospel. They arrest them. It says they throw them in the public prison. In other words, they want to make a statement that these people are going to jail for what they're doing. They put them in the public prison, it says. After they put them in the public prison, you imagine they do that one afternoon and they're there that night and people go to bed that night and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears and it says that he opens the door. Somehow the guards are still knocked out asleep. Something supernatural is happening here. They, they, he opens the door and lets them out. And apparently the angel closes the door and relocks it because when they show up the next day, the report they give is we found it securely locked. And the guards around it, and yet nobody was in there. Amazing. Amazing stuff here that they're delivered. And then, and then the angel tells them to do what? The angel says, I want you to go to the temple. And go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Think about that. More than likely, this is the place where they were already arrested. And then they're thrown into jail that night. And the next morning, they're going right back to the same temple and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And then it says, when they find out about this, after they get the shock of their life that they're not in the prison, when they find out about this, they send the captain of the temple and the guards, the police officers, they send them to go get them in the temple. But it says, but they don't, they don't take them by force because they're afraid the people might stone them. Can you imagine that? These people tried to make a statement. They tried to say, we're going to throw them in the public prison. We're going, to make, we're going to make a point with these men and throw them in the public prison. And God makes another point and he's got them preaching in the same temple the next morning. And so the people are stirred up. We know they've already been stirred up in, as we've read through the book of Acts up to this point. And the people are stirred up and, they, and they're not going to go take them by force. They say to the apostles, hey, come with us. And the apostles willingly, willingly go with them. Here's a few points that I want us to grab from this section of scripture. First point is this persecution is promised. Persecution is a guarantee. How well do you know that? How convinced are you that the persecution that they are experiencing here is not left in the book of Acts, but persecution is promised to all of those who want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in obedience to our Lord. We know Jesus himself said they in John 15 that they hated me, then they're also going to hate you. We know all through the book of Acts, this isn't the last time we're going to hear about persecution. We're going to see it come up again and again and again. Paul's going to look at a brand new church in Acts 14, 22. And, and, and Paul, what do you want to say to a new church? And he says, he's going to say this in, in Acts 14, 22. You must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. You must through many tribulations. In Philippians 1.29, persecution and suffering is spoken of as a gift. It says it's, it's been granted to you 
Not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his name. It's been granted to you like a gift. Not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but to suffer for his name. 2 Timothy 3.12, one of Paul's last, or his last writing, his dying letter, he says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, which certainly involves advancing the word of the Lord, the unstoppable word of the Lord, you will suffer persecution according to God's word. Now, how convinced are you of that? How convinced are you of that? That you say, I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I live my life like a prophet of old to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will suffer persecution. Now, listen, there's a way out. There's a way out of this. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Because that's what they did with the false prophets. So just be like the false prophets. And no persecution for you. But listen, if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, it's a promise from heaven that you will, you will suffer persecution. You will suffer. It's a gift from God. You'll suffer for His name. How convinced are you of that? <clears throat> Let me ask a question here. Why does God free them from prison? So they're in jail. Okay. The angel frees them that night. And then they're right back before the same ones that arrested them the next morning after they preached the gospel in the temple. So why did God, why does God free them from prison right here? Is it because God thought that if he frees them from prison, then they'll leave the apostles alone? Is that what God thought? No. The next morning they're back there. Being persecuted all over again. So that's not the reason. Is it because all Christians who go to jail for the gospel will be set free? Is that the promise? Absolutely not. We know the apostle James actually dies in a prison. Gets his head cut off. We know that from Acts chapter 12. Is it because there was somebody in the temple that day. That just needed to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God delivered them from prison to go preach the gospel that day. That's more likely, and that's possible. God's got many reasons that he does things, but I don't think it's the main reason. What is the main reason that God delivered them from prison on this day? And I want to tell you that I think it's because God is making a point. He, this is, a, this is a, a, an instructive gesture from God. Just like they threw him in the public prison to say, we're making a point about what happens when you disobey us. God is making a point right here and saying, you have no power to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got none. You don't reign here. Christ Jesus reigns. And if his believers stay in prison, it's because he wills it. But he gets them out any moment that he wants to. Now, is that encouraging to you? Is that encouraging to you that, that, that the most powerful men on the planet cannot stop the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It will go ahead. It will move forward. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Persecution cannot halt the advancing of the word of the Lord. And so, because the word of God is unstoppable, what we see in our passage of scripture is the relentless preachers of the word. They know it's unstoppable, so they are relentless, unrelenting, 
persevering, press forward, nothing can stop me, preachers of the word of God. That's what we see in this passage of scripture. Think about it. Just like I said a moment, they've already been told to stop preaching in the name of Christ. And what did they do? Oh God, give us boldness to keep doing what they told us not to do. They've already been told to stop. And here God, the, the angel breaks them out and says, go to the temple and keep speaking the words of life in verse 20. In verse 21, it says at the break, I mean, literally at the break of day, very early in the morning, as the sun's rising up, there they stand in the temple with all the people beginning to gather around to worship with their false worship. And they preach Jesus Christ in that place. The, the relentless preachers of the word of God. They had aligned themselves with God's unstoppable plan. And since the word of the Lord is unstoppable, they commenced to preaching that word of the Lord full of faith in him, full of trust in him. Now, I think we could we could use some self-examination on that. Amen. We could examine ourselves and say, do we believe in the unstoppable word of the Lord that this gospel will move forward? And how has that affected our lives? Are we relentless preachers of the gospel? Persevering preachers of the gospel keep moving forward. Nothing can stop it. Therefore, if I align myself with his mission that can't be stopped, then it means I can't be stopped as I preach his word. They can throw me in jail. They can take my life, but the word of the Lord is moving forward. Are we believing that? Do you pray that for Grace Community Church? Do you pray that? Do you ever pray that for our church? Oh God. That you would raise up an all souls church where every single soul is full of faith in you. That your gospel is moving forward. Their purpose is aligned with your purpose, God. To move forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they preach it with boldness day in and day out and day in and day out. Allowing nothing to stop them. Do you pray that for your church? I want to encourage you to pray that. Let's go to that next section. Verse 27 through 32. And when they had brought them. So they brought the apostles into the interrogation of the leader of Israel. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now think about what's happening here. The Christians are being interrogated. They're being put on trial. Before the Supreme Court of Israel, before the highest court of the land, the most powerful men in the land, in the, amongst the people of Israel, they are putting them on trial, interrogating these men. This is persecution increased. They're persecuting these men. What I want you to see in that is this is, this is more than just simply individual, personal persecution. Okay? This is more than just being persecuted by an individual or by a single person. What we're, what we're seeing here is government regulations on these men. Government regulations. 
The highest court in the land is threatening them, telling them what to do. Stop doing what Jesus told you to do. This is government regulations that we're seeing here. And I love this. I, I began to, to think about this and, and the situation they're in. And, and this kind of situation jumps right out of the pages of the book of Acts. And it's in our world today. Don't you know that? That the same situations are in our world today. I want to read to you just a few things that, that, that I got from the, the U.S. Department of, of State Diplomacy. From state.gov. And this is talking about a report of the religious freedoms all over the world. And I want you to hear the government regulations. Just like we're reading here. And hearing it all over our world. Afghanistan. Conversion from Islam to another religion is apostasy. Which is punishable by death, imprisonment, or confiscation, confiscation of property. Saudi Arabia. Freedom of religion is not provided under the law. And the government does not recognize the freedom to practice publicly any non-Muslim religion. The law, listen, the law criminalizes any attempt to cast doubt on the fundamentals of Islam... Conversion by a Muslim to a non-Muslim religion and proselytizing by a non-Muslim. What is criminalized in Saudi Arabia? Proselytizing a, a Muslim. In other words, uh, trying to convert them to eternal life. What about China? China. This is where some of the members of, of, of this church are praying and seeking God and, and asking the Lord to take them there as missionaries to preach the gospel in this place, China. Listen to the report on China. China's constitution states citizens have freedom of religious belief, but limits protections for religious practice to normal religious activities and does not define normal. The government continued to exercise control over religion and restrict the activities and personal freedoms of religious adherents when these were perceived to threaten any state or Chinese Communist Party interest. There continues to be reports that the government physically abused, detained, arrested, tortured, sentenced to prison and harassed religious groups, including members of unregistered Christian churches, also known as house churches. A pastor of an unregistered church and his wife were reportedly buried alive while protesting the demolition of their church. The wife died while the pastor was able to escape. You see this in our world. What about India? We got brothers in our church, members of our church from India. We got families in this church looking to go to India in the future to preach the gospel and plant churches there. Listen to India. The Constitution states citizens must practice their faith in a way that does not adversely affect public order, morality, or health. That's subjective, right? You can practice it, but just don't let it mess up public order. Six out of 29 state governments, and listen, that's a ton of people. Ton of people in India. Six out of 29 state governments enforce anti-conversion laws. Anti-conversion laws. By the way, most unreached people groups on the planet are in this country. Where these anti-conversion laws exist. What about Algeria? Proselytizing of Muslims by non-Muslims is a crime. There's several reports of men and women going to jail and being punished for insulting Muhammad in Algeria. 
And you could go on and on. This is not even mentioned, mentioned in North Korea and Morocco and many, many other places. You could go on and on and on. You see that you see this government regulations. I want you to think about the situation that they're in. And this is this is existing all over the world. And what about our own country? Now I'm not I'm not gonna be you know, one of the guys, you know, doomsday uh, guys talking about all our freedoms are gone in America. I'm not going to do that because I don't believe that. We've got a lot of freedoms here that we need to be thanking God for and taking advantage of for his glory. There was a guy, um, the insanity of God. Nick Ripkin goes and interviews all these men and, and women in these persecuted countries. And one of the guys, and Nick, Nick Ripkin is, is interviewing this guy, and one of the guys that was heavily persecuted in a communist regime, I believe in Romania or so, one of these guys, he said, I'm so thankful that we got to suffer here so that you had the freedom to preach the gospel where you're at, Nick. And Nick said, no, 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 don't you do that to me. And he started backing up. He said, don't you do that to me. You understand? You understand the pain of that? We have, we have a freedom here to preach the gospel. But listen, there's just a story just at the end of this past year of a guy named Tony Miano. Tony Miano is standing at an abortion place, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, offering all kinds of help for people, anything that would help them to keep them from killing their baby that's in the womb, calling them, asking if they can help, calling them to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man was given a citation. And he had to show up in court a few days later. He shows up in the court, and you can go listen to the audio in the court. It says, uh, the state of Iowa versus Anthony Miano. You can go listen to it. And number one is glorious because he shares the gospel right there on the bench, which is, which is a beautiful presentation of the gospel for all to hear. But to hear what the judge says to him, that he gives him 30 days in jail, 30 days in jail, suspended nonetheless, but it's hanging over his head like a hammer. 30 days in jail was the sentence. And it says for distressing people. He used those words distressing the people that were inside the Planned Parenthood. Do you understand how distressing the gospel of Jesus is? Do you know that everywhere these men went in the book of Acts, there was either revival or repercussion for preaching the gospel. Either way, but, but everywhere they went, people were distressed. And here's a man in our own country suffering the consequences for distressing people as he faithfully preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want us to see back in our passage, so government regulations are here. And yet, right in the midst of these government regulations, what do we see? We see re relentless, relentless preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ right in the midst of a hostile government. Persevering preachers of Christ in the middle of a hostile government. I love, let's pause for a minute, verse 28. I love this verse. Just glance at it. We strictly charged you not to teach in his name. Remember that? And yet here, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Don't you love that? That the enemies of the cross are looking at these men saying, we told you not to preach, but you, you filled the whole city. The idea here is the cup is overflowing. It's, it's full. Nothing's let, nothing else can be fit into the cup. You have filled up. To the brim, the city with the teaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. And they did it and they filling up the city with the teaching and the enemies of the cross are mad about it. 
I love this verse. But shouldn't Christians obey their government? Shouldn't Christians obey their government? Yeah. Yes, to a degree. We should be the most obedient people on the planet to the governing authorities. According to Romans 13 and according to Peter's writings, we should be obedient people. But it has limits. When God has said something and government has said something, we go with God and not man. Which is why Peter says we ought to obey God rather than men. He, tell, he tells the Supreme Court of Israel that we ought to obey God rather than men. And then here, I love this. We get a little summary, like a little concise summary of what these relentless preachers are preaching. They're spreading and filling up Jerusalem with their preaching and teaching. And, and we get a little summary of what they preach. So what did they preach? I'll give you four points of what they preach. Number one, they preached a bold message. They preached a bold message. I want you to think about this. It's, it's, almost, it's almost humorous. It's almost humorous here. Think about this. The Supreme Court of Israel is complaining. They're saying, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. In other words, you're saying that we killed the Messiah because we've read that right over and over again. Christ Jesus, whom you murdered. Christ Jesus, whom you crucified. Christ Jesus, whom you killed. And here's the leaders of the people of Israel saying, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And listen to the almost, it's almost humorous boldness that comes out of Peter. Peter says this in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. They're complaining. You're saying we killed him. And the first thing Peter says, you killed him. No wonder they're angry. So it's a bold gospel. It's a bold proclamation of the word of God. That's number one. Number two, we see a message, a message about Jesus's death. It's a message according to verse, verse 28 about the blood of Jesus. It's a message according to verse 30 about the one who was killed and hanging on a tree. They preached Christ crucified. They preach the one who died in our place, the one who's the substitute for our sins. We're supposed to die and go to hell forever, every one of us. But Jesus goes to the cross and he takes our place so we can be set free. Guilty, violent, helpless we, spotless son of God is he. Full atonement, can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. He dies for our sins and they preach this one. Number three, they preach a risen, exalted Jesus Christ. You see it in verse 31. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. So not only is he the one that died for your sins, but he's the one that was buried and three days later rose from the dead. Verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things. He was seen by eyewitnesses risen from the dead. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? This man was seen by eyewitnesses, risen from the dead, multitudes of them, risen from the dead. And then they saw him ascend on high, exalted to the right hand of God. And right now he sits on his throne. It says here as leader, meaning king, prince. He rules in sovereign control and he is advancing his kingdom to the ends of the earth with or without us. He's doing it for the glory of his name. And it calls him savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He's the only one. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If anyone goes to the Father without Jesus Christ as, as theirs and owned by him, you will go to the Father and spend eternity in hell. 
But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there's a way through Christ. He is the Savior. Number four in this message here, it's a message of repentance and forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see it in verse, verse 31, right in the middle. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who, who obey Him. God's granting repentance because repentance is the way in. Yes, Jesus died for sinners. Yes, He's risen from the dead. But if you don't repent and believe in the gospel, you have no part in it. So God is granting repentance to people. This turning from your sin. You must turn from your sin and come to the one that said, Come to me, you weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. You must turn from the world, turn from yourself, turn from sin to the arms of the one who is the leader and the Savior. And if you do, this scripture says forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that pattern throughout Acts, haven't we? Forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. That when you come to Christ in repentance, forgiveness is granted to you. All those sins that are on your record are wiped clean because the sins are placed on Jesus' record. And he dies in your place. And not only is your record fixed, but your relationship is fixed as you're reconciled to God. The Holy Spirit comes to indwell those who repent and put their hope in Him. So your record is fixed and your relationship is reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, through repentance towards Christ. And so here's what we see. We see persecution bearing down on these men. They're thrown into jail. They're delivered. But then they're taken before the highest court of Israel. And, and, and the persecution is bearing down. The threats are bearing down on these men. And what do they do? They're relentless preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even while they stand on the witness stand. Look at this next section, verse 33-39. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel... A teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So imagine the apostles go out from the meeting. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this, if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So what's happening here? So the persecution intensifies. Now they are raging at the apostles. They, they, are, they are seething with anger at the apostles and they want to murder them. It says right there in verse 33, they want to kill them. They want to murder them. And then suddenly some surprising advice comes. Surprising counsel from a guy named 
Gamaliel, okay? Now he stands up and we get all of his counsel to those people that want to kill, they want to kill these Christians. Now, who is this man? Who is Gamaliel? It says here that he's a man of honor, that they respected this man. He was a teacher of the law that was very well respected. We learn later in the New Testament that, that Paul the Apostle, before he was saved, actually sat, sat at Gamaliel's feet and learned from him. We know from Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, that this man was very highly respected in Israel and respected among the leadership. This is Gamaliel. So he, he stands up and let's just think about what counsel does he give? He says this. He says, hey, look, let me give you two examples. A guy named Thutis rose up and a bunch of people followed him. But as soon as the leader died, they scattered and it was over. Then a guy named Judas rose up and a bunch of people followed him. But as soon as that leader died, everybody was scattered. All his followers were scattered and, and, and it was over. So he says, look, leave these men alone. Leave them alone. Their leader has died. Jesus has died. Leave them alone and, and it'll just scatter. It'll be done with, right? And he says, and if this is of men, if this plan, if what's going on is from man... Gamaliel says, it will fail. But then he turns the corner and he says something interesting. He says, but, but you know, if it's of God, you can't overthrow it. If what's going on is from God, you actually are going to be caught opposing or fighting against God. Now, what makes this man say this? Well, we don't know for sure. Maybe he's sitting there going, you know what? All these reports about this Jesus who I thought died. They're saying they saw him risen from the dead, risen from the dead, risen from the dead. Maybe there's something to this. How in the world did those apostles get out of prison last night? How'd they do that? Maybe there's something to this. Listen, guys, if this is from God, we can't stop it. We can't overthrow it. Now, here's the question. Why, why is this advice of Gamaliel... Why is it given to us in so much detail? I mean, it's like we get a lot from him right here, right? We just get all the details about what he said. Why do we get this report from Gamaliel? Number one, it's just good advice, right? It's true advice. But number two, let me, let me mention this to you. This fits right in line with what the theme of this whole passage is. It fits right in line with the whole theme. Think about it. Think about what I'm saying. Persecution is bearing down these men. And here comes this advice from within that says, look, if God is in this, you can't stop it. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. It fits right in with our theme. The gospel of Jesus Christ is absolutely unstoppable. And this has proven true over the last 2,000 years, hasn't it? I think for the first time, I mentioned to you a minute ago, the Joshua Project, 16,000 people groups, they, they estimate. 7,000 of those people groups unreached with a gospel. We got to get it there, finish the mission. That's how I've always been encouraged reading those statistics. But I think this week for the first time I was encouraged to think like this. 16,000 people groups on the planet and about 9,000 of them have been reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's moving forward over the last 2,000 years. God's word is advancing. It's headed into the, the, the borders of every you know, geopolitical line on our map. The gospel has entered into all of those nations. And it's going to keep going to every people group within those nations. And I've been encouraged by what God has done. You think about it. Christianity, the largest religion now, starts with these fishermen in an upper room. And now the largest religion in the world. 
Here we are on the other side of the planet from where these things have happened. And we are together worshiping Jesus Christ and telling our kids about this glorious one who rose from the dead, who died for sinners. Look at what he's done. Gamaliel was right. If this is of God, nothing can stop it and nothing has stopped it and nothing ever will. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. Does this encourage you? Does it encourage you that if you align yourself with God's purpose, which is unstoppable, that makes your purpose invincible, unstoppable. Nothing can halt, nothing can halt it. If you align your purpose with God's purpose. In fact, all your enemies and all your opponents that try to stop you in your purpose, if your purpose is God's purpose, they will be found to be opposing God. They'll be at war with God, not you. Let's read these last couple verses. Verse 40 to 42. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So yeah, they let them go, but the persecution still intensifies. Now they've been beaten. These men are beaten for their faith. They're threatened. You stop talking about Christ. You stop spreading this teaching. They're threatened with government regulations. They're beaten and then they're let go. Persecution is intensifying. But how do they respond? How do they respond? Verse 41. They left the presence of the council <laughs> rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Can you imagine that? They've just been beat down and threatened by the highest court in the land. And they walk around the corner and they throw a party. They dance a little jig. They rejoice. They give praise to God that they were counted worthy to suffer like their Savior has suffered. They thank God for the affirmation. Jesus, you said we'd be persecuted. You said that they would hate us. Even way back in Psalm 2, you said that all the leaders would be against you. You said that, and now here's the affirmation. We've been counted worthy to suffer for His name. And they rejoice. They rejoice. They rejoice in obedience to Jesus. Their Savior is the one that told them, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when men speak evil against you and say all kind of evil things against you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And they obeyed Jesus in this rejoicing. What else did they do? Verse 42 says, Every day in the temple from house to house, listen, they did not cease. It's the unstoppable word of the Lord. They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Nothing, nothing, not even persecution can frustrate the purposes of God. Nothing, not even persecution can frustrate the purposes of God as he as he has designed to move his gospel forward into every nation, tribe and tongue on this planet. He's constantly saving people and the word of the Lord will and must move forward. And we get to be a part of that. Let me close with this about how we need to respond. How must we respond? 
And let me give uh, three takeaways here. Three takeaways of how we need to respond. Number one, I just want to encourage you in this, that a life, a life that's aligned with God's unstoppable mission is the secret to a happy life. A life that's aligned with God's unstoppable purpose and His mission is the secret to a happy life. Or, or I guess a more biblical way to say it would be the secret to a joyfully satisfied life. Now I want that for every member of Grace Community Church. I want you to be happy. And I just happen to believe, and I think you do too, that the happiness that the world offers is actually much, much less than what can really be found in Christ Jesus. In His presence is fullness of joy. I want you to be... I want you to have a joyfully satisfied life. And so I think the secret to that, or at least a secret to that, is aligning your life with the unstoppable mission. Now, here's where I'm getting this from. It says that their response to this beating was rejoicing. Now, if they had just won the lottery and they're rejoicing, I wouldn't say, here's the secret. Okay? Because you say, well, that, that's, you know, if I don't win the lottery, I can't have the rejoicing, right? But when I see a group of people arrested, put on trial, beaten down, threatened by the government, when I see that, and those people are still rejoicing in a joyfully satisfied life, I say, man, what's the secret there? What is the secret to that? And I want you to think about this. God himself lived the happiest of lives. God has the most joyfully satisfied life. Why? Why does God have the most joyfully satisfied life? Well, it's because of His sovereignty. It's because of His sovereignty. Listen, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. If it pleases Him, He always does it. Does it. Nothing can frustrate His purpose. So because of His sovereign, perfect, does whatever He pleases, He lives a joyfully pleased Satisfied life. That's our God. Why don't we have a joyfully satisfied life? Because we have our purposes and our purposes get frustrated again and again. It can be really, you know, big things like this career purpose that I had that got frustrated. It could be smaller things like I just wanted a nap and the kid was screaming. Frustrated. But we, we're not sovereign, so we can't. We're, we got these purposes that keep getting frustrated, so we don't have a happy life. We don't have a joyfully satisfied life. But what if you could do this? What if you could take His purpose? He does whatever He pleases. He's advancing His gospel to the end of the earth. What if you could just align yourself with that purpose? Now, all of a sudden, your purpose cannot be frustrated. So that even in the midst of beatings and arrest, you could rejoice. Because you're kind of worthy to suffer for His name. So how do we do that? How do we align our life with His unstoppable mission? And let me just highlight something again from verse 42. Look at verse 42. Again, this is their response. This is them aligning their life with this unstoppable mission of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease. So listen to it. How often? Every day. We're not talking about Advance the gospel by going on a mission trip here and a mission trip there. We're not talking about those little isolated moments in your life where you preach the gospel here or there. You get the gospel. We're talking about this daily disposition. 
This daily leaned in to my purpose on this earth is to glorify God by making disciples of all the nations. How can I do that today? How can I have a daily disposition leaned in every day? And it says in the temple and from house to house. So publicly, how can I get myself around the multitudes and get the words of life to them? How can I go from house to house and to these different individuals and get the word to them? To the college campuses, to the abortion place, to my neighbor, to a family member, to co-workers. How can I line up my life with God's ultimate purpose? Well, I want to go after what it says right here in verse 42. And man, let's pray that as we do that as a church, that we would fill this city with his teaching. Just like it says in verse, what is it, 28? They fill Jerusalem with his teaching. That we'd be able to fill this city with the teaching of Jesus Christ. That's number one. Second thing I want to say as far as the response to take away is if we're going to live this word advancing life, we have got to embrace suffering. We've got to be a people that embrace suffering. Suffering will most definitely come. I've already mentioned to you some scripture that says that. But we have to embrace it now. And that's more than just expecting it. I don't mean just expect suffering to come, maybe. I mean, know it's coming. If you live a life of, of if you live a word advancing life, know that it will come. But don't just expect it, but embrace it. They rejoice that they were counted worthy. Philippians 1, 29, it's a gift that's granted to you as a gift that you would embrace it and say, this is from God. It's a gift to me from God. Embracing suffering. And if we don't embrace suffering as we advance the gospel, Satan will uproot us from our purpose. He most definitely will. I mean, I think about that. I think, I think of times in your life where you, you, you said, you know what? I'm about to lean into this. I know what my duty is and I know what my desire is. I want to make Christ known in this city, at my job, in all the nations. I want to do this. And as you move in to do that, Satan rises up and puts something there, some kind of opposition. Maybe you've been hated. Maybe you're cussed at. Maybe you just felt like you got looked at funny. Who knows? But some sort of opposition just makes you sit back down and shut your mouth. And so if we don't embrace suffering, Satan will rise up and he'll move us from this course. He'll throw us off course. The way I think about it is we either, we either embrace suffering or we abandon the mission. If the mission is, and I want to say, let me mention specifically this. If there's a part of our mission, a major part, make disciples of all the nations, all the people groups, and there's 7,000 unreached people groups out there, if that's part, a major part of our mission, if that's what we're thinking about, listen, we either embrace suffering or we abandon that part of our mission. You say, why do you say that? Why the ultimatum? Because to fulfill this part of the mission, it will include suffering. There's an old saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's just true that if we, if we take on this mission, do you know why so many of those people groups are unreached? They don't want you there. They will threaten you and kill you. And it could be dangerous in these unreached people groups. You understand that? So if we're going to have a mindset to, to finish the mission, to reach the unreached, we've got to embrace suffering from God as a gift, as a gift from him. Finish the mission, all nations, on a mission type churches 
are churches that embrace suffering. If we embrace the comforts of this world and our, our ease, our prosperous ease, then we won't embrace this mission. Third thing I want to say, very practical. A very practical takeaway here. I want us to pray about this and I want us to consider it. So everybody listen to me. Pray about this and consider this, please, on your own. As we think about the All Nations mission, the unstoppable word, as we think about that, how are we going to get laborers to those countries that don't want you there? How are we going to get laborers to these countries with, and these people groups with government regulations and, and the like? How are we going to get people there? You can't, you, you can't throw in the passport. I'm a missionary. I want to come talk to your people. And we'll let you in. So how are we going to get to these places? And the, the ultimate thing we do is we need to pray. Let me give this to you. Pray about that. Ask God to help us with that. Ask God to open doors. It is amazing. Through the Bible, through missionary stories, through our own lives, even in this church, of the way God has opened doors. It's glorious what God can do. So let's pray and ask God to open doors into those, into those places. But let me give you just one more thought to consider and pray about. What about having a platform to get into those places? You know, if you can't come in there saying, I want to come to your country to plant churches, but you can say, I'm a nurse and I want to go there. I'm a doctor. I'm a businessman. I want to start this company. I, I talked to a guy pretty recently that uh, he's a CrossFit guy. Exercise, you know, CrossFit exercise that I never do. Um, but this guy goes to a place an unreached people group, and, and he starts a CrossFit, CrossFit box or a CrossFit workout gym there. What, what about platforms like that? I've often thought that about, you know, in, in this church, this isn't the only people that could think about this, but in this church, there's been several of, you know, med school students, doctors and nurses, all the medical profession that are, that are around here. I've thought about that in the past. Well, what are you, do, what are you doing with that? Are you raising up platforms to get into these unreached people groups? And so I, I want for every individual, I want you to consider that. How are we going to get into these places? And would you please commit that to prayer? What we know is regardless of what we do, the word of God's unstoppable. And if we align ourselves with that mission, we got an invincible purpose. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us, God, to be doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you for these examples, God, of, of you using persecution for your own purposes. You are a sovereign God. And we just proclaim it to you that nothing can stop your purpose. Nothing can stop your plan. And nothing can stop your gospel from saving souls out of every nation, tribe, and tongue on this planet, God. And we praise you for that. God, we long for the day. That we get to stand before you alongside every nation, tribe, and tongue and sing praises to you in heaven. <laughs> we long for that day, Lord. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a finish the mission church. Fill our hearts with confidence that you are going to do exactly what you said in your word. Fill our hearts with boldness, courage. God, kill our fears. Kill our desires for comfort and our desires for the things of this life that keep us from your mission, God. 
And Lord, I pray that you would take this weak little church, our weak little church with full of weak people, and God, I pray that you would show yourself strong as a Savior in all the earth. God, if there's people here, God, that, that in a new way, Lord, you're pricking their hearts, Lord. You're, 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 you're making them think about what they're going to do in the future. God, I pray that you would make your will clear to them. And then you fill their heart, God, with desires to make you known among unreached people groups. God, make us a church faithful in this, please. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.